Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, with soaring COVID infection rates, demands for more action from the federal government as hard-hit Ontario shuts down in-class schooling until the end of April and faces a growing strain on the health care system. The Prime Minister begins consulting opposition leaders ahead of next week's budget, looking to see where he might find support to keep the minority government afloat. MPs will debate priorities and expectations. And our panel of parliamentary journalists on a new headache for Aaron O'Toole, the pre-budget negotiations and the pandemic response. And we'll start tonight with the soaring COVID case count across Canada and the building strain on the healthcare system. The pushback against restrictions and the uncertainty about how bad things are going to get during this third wave. Canada now has a higher infection rate per capita than the United States, although the United States still has nearly three COVID deaths per million population compared to less than one death per million from COVID in Canada. As Parliament returned after a two-week constituency break, more questions about the federal pandemic response. The third wave is here. And while other countries are getting vaccinated and opening up, Canadians are being locked down yet again. Yesterday, Canada officially passed the United States in the number of new cases per capita. 20% of Americans are fully vaccinated. Only 2% of Canadians are. Can the Prime Minister admit that his slow vaccine rollout has resulted in the third wave of COVID-19 on Canadians and more destructive lockdowns? Mr. Speaker, I thank the Honourable Member for the question. And indeed, we surpassed our 6 million target prior to the end of March by receiving 9.5 million doses here. We are on track to get 44 million doses into this country by the end of June and 110 million by the end of September. We'll continue providing the provinces and territories with vaccines, and we will work together as a country to ensure that all Canadians who wish to have access to a vaccine will have one prior to the end of September. Thank you. A sampling of the exchanges on Parliament Hill today. In Ontario, the province announcing all students will move to online learning until at least the end of the month. Ontario today reported more than 4,400 new infections and some of the highest positivity testing rates of the pandemic. 619 people in intensive care units and 408 patients on ventilators in the province, both record high numbers during this pandemic. And today, hospitals began postponing non-urgent procedures to deal with the surge in COVID patients. The situation is changing quickly and we need to respond. Right now, I'm extremely concerned about the new variants, the South African variant, the UK variant spreading in India, and the Brazilian variant that is spreading rampantly in BC right now. And we need the federal government to look at tighter restrictions at our borders to protect us from these deadly variants of concern. Dr. Isaac Bogach is an infectious diseases physician and a member of Ontario's vaccination task force. Dr. Bogach, uh, good to see you again. Uh, thanks once more for taking time to speak with me tonight. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Look, help, help us understand what effect this surge in cases of COVID-19 is having on, on, in particular, the healthcare system, the hospital system in Ontario. What are you seeing? What kinds of decisions are being made about patients and their needs right now? 
and sadly, this is really starting to overwhelm the healthcare system such that we're at a point where we actually have to provide less care to people in Ontario. So the big example here is that you know, scheduled surgeries are being canceled. These are sometimes, I think, inappropriately referred to as uh, elective surgeries, but there's nothing elective about them. These are surgeries that people need to have. They're heart surgeries and bone and joint surgeries and sometimes cancer surgeries. Like, they're important. They need to have them. And they're being canceled now because we have such an influx of patients with COVID-19. Uh, we really need all hands on deck and all resources available to care for those patients with COVID-19. So, um, you know, it's obviously a very challenging position right now for healthcare in Ontario. There are 619 patients in intensive care units in Ontario hospitals, 408 of them uh, patients on ventilators. Um, and I'm not sure you know the answer to this. I mean, how, do you, how does that compare to non-pandemic times or do we, do we have something to compare this to? Not really. I mean, it's interesting because people talk about the beds available, but of course the beds themselves don't tell the whole story. Uh, we know that patients with COVID-19 certainly require more care and more resources. Um, the prior high mark, by the way, during wave two was 420 patients admitted to intensive care units, and now we're north of 600 patients. Mm -hmm. Like, this is uh, a huge burden on our system. The ICUs truly are filling up, and, you know, it, you don't have to look too hard to see the outcomes of this. We now have, for example, adult patients that are admitted in pediatric intensive care units. We have adult patients that are being flown 50 or 100 kilometers away to other intensive care units where they can receive care. Uh, it, we're being stretched. We are certainly being stretched. And uh, there's a lot of redeployment to get uh, the appropriate number of hands on deck to really ensure that we get, the, quite frankly, the appropriate care for patients coming into the hospital. Yeah, let me, um, let me touch on that. Surgeries that, will help. Yeah. Okay, let me let me let me touch on the redeployment question because it's a broad conversation now taking place in the land. I think the, the cancellation or postponement of these, let's call them non-urgent procedures, I guess if I can put it that way, are, are supposed to free up between seven hundred and a thousand additional hospital beds for COVID patients. Uh, the extra beds are, are important. You, you touched on beds, but do hospitals have the staff to care for those additional COVID patients? Right. I think that's the critical point there. And I, I completely agree. It's one thing to have a physical bed, but it's, of course, another to take the staffing. Staffing intensive care unit beds is challenging. It is a very dedicated skill set, right? And it's, it's not just a doctor. There is a huge team and every piece of that puzzle is essential. Like intensive care unit nurses and intensive care unit respiratory therapists and physiotherapists and occupational therapists and dietitians and on and on and on. They all have an integral role in caring for a patient admitted to an ICU. Um, I would say the same is actually true for the hospital wards as well. So mm -hmm. even when you're redeploying people, uh, it's important that they have the right skill set so that uh, you know patients get the care that they deserve. Uh, it's it's challenging now. It really is. And, and sadly, it's not going to get better. Uh, it's going to take a, a, at least a week or so before we crest. So I think we really need to brace for more and more people coming in. And uh, we've got to free up as much as, as many beds as possible, but also free up as many capable and trained hands to help care for those patients as well. Yeah, we're talking about the situation in Ontario as an example. I mean, there are other uh, provinces as well dealing with uh, these challenges and surges in cases. And I guess I'm wondering if you think there's a, a broader role for the federal government here in terms of pulling healthcare workers perhaps to a province such as Ontario uh, from uh, or other hard hit provinces from provinces maybe doing better. Uh, should we be having that conversation uh, and, and perhaps at a, at a higher tempo here? Yeah, I think it's 
people should know that you know there already is communication on an ongoing basis between federal and provincial health ministers. So, um, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that people have had to come in and help out. Uh, whether or not that's needed now is is debatable. I think currently uh, we have the capacity, but of course that might change. And I think it's important to be open-minded. Like, maybe there will be a point that some provinces will need help from outside provinces. There are mechanisms to do that. Mm. There certainly are. Um, I don't know if any provinces at a state where they would require external help, but there certainly are mechanisms to accommodate for that. Okay, let's finish on this. What's the biggest thing that concerns you now as you look down the road? Capacity. Healthcare system capacity is the immediate threat. But of course... Uh, I think we really also need to pick up the pace of vaccination, um, and uh, and that will help. But uh, lastly, I, I really don't think we're going to vaccinate our way out of this third wave. We're going to require sound policy to get our way out of this third wave. Vaccination will help shape this wave, but it won't end this wave. We're going to need policy to end this wave, and then we need to vaccinate like stinks so that we don't have any further waves. All right. Uh, always good to get your perspective, Dr. Isaac Bogach. Uh, thanks for talking to me again. Take care. Be well. Well, after a weekend convention in which he lambasted the Conservative Party and its leader in a pre-election style speech, the Prime Minister today spoke with Aaron O'Toole ahead of the budget one week from now. Trudeau also met with uh, or spoke with bloc leader Yves-François Blanchet to discuss opposition priorities for the Liberal Build Back Better budget and whether he can count on opposition support. He'll speak with the NDP leader and the Green Party leader on Tuesday. Lots riding on the budget, including the possibility of a snap election if it gets voted down in the minority parliament, which seems unlikely at this point. But let's bring in three MPs to talk about the latest pre-budget developments. Rachel Bendayan is a Quebec Liberal MP and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Small Business and International Trade. She was also one of the Liberal Party Convention co-chairs this weekend. Good to see you again. Pat Kelly is an Alberta Conservative MP and the Small Business and Western Development critic for the official opposition. And Don Davies is a British Columbian New Democrat MP and his party's health critic. Good to see you all. Uh, Rachel Ben-Dyan, let me start with you. Both the Liberals and NDP held their virtual policy conventions this past weekend uh, to adopt some key policies and some of those policy ideas, including increased childcare spending, green economy measures. They'll likely be advanced in the budget coming up. What does the Prime Minister want from these meetings with opposition leaders? Well, as you mentioned, Peter, the Prime Minister is reaching out to all party uh, opposition leaders this week, and he, he spoke to two of them earlier today. I think what we're looking for is to collaborate with our opposition colleagues. We're looking to deliver a budget that will deliver for Canadians, and we need the opposition to, to vote with us on the budget. What we've seen with the fall economic statement and Bill C-14 is that the Conservatives are consistently blocking us, which is delaying necessary funding and supports to Canadians. We hope that doesn't happen again with the budget. All right, Mr. Kelly, let, let me hear from you. Your leader, uh, Mr. O'Toole, met with the Prime Minister today to discuss Conservative priorities for the budget. Uh, one would think whatever's going to be in the budget is mostly done by now, so I'm not sure he was looking for advice from Mr. O'Toole, but Aaron O'Toole specifically spoke against the notion of a universal basic income, which both uh, Liberal and NDP conventions supported this weekend. Doesn't mean we'll see it in the budget, I think. But why do Conservatives oppose that, that idea and other big-ticket spending plans? Well, I, I think now is not the time for uh, grand, utopian, new types of, of permanent spending. The the whole premise of the uh, 
aid measures that we have supported so far since the pandemic were to to get Canadians safely through the COVID crisis. And uh, we now find ourselves uh, really in, in a budgetary crisis over, over debt load. And um, adding on new permanent spending is, uh, is, is just not what, uh, what the, the right time for this. I mean, we need to get back to an employment-based economy and get into a, a rapid recovery of, of the economy oh. through a, a transition back to a, to a full employment economy, me, not a time for, uh, for, for new grand uh, permanent measures. Right, let me come back to some of that in a moment. Mr. Davies, let me turn to you. Uh, Jagmeet Singh will meet with the Prime Minister on Tuesday. Uh, I, I guess I'm wondering what the NDP wants to see in this budget, but also in the context that, you know, are, are any demands the NDP makes hampered by the fact that Mr. Singh's already said he's not going to let the government fall over the budget. He's going to prop the government up during this pandemic. So do, do New Democrats have any leverage here? Well, first of all, I don't think that's what we've said. We didn't say we'd prop up the government no matter what in the pandemic. What we have said is we don't believe it's time to go to the polls. Uh, right now when so many Canadians are suffering. Look, Peter, Canadian families and and workers across this country are suffering. We saw last week the sobering figure of 53% of Canadians are $200 uh, or less a month away from insolvency. So people are really suffering. So this budget, I think the number one priority is obviously to get essential help to uh, people who are really suffering through the COVID crisis. That's unemployed workers, it's small businesses, it's senior students and other marginalized groups. And and unlike uh, with respect to uh, my colleague, Mr. Kelly, I think now is exactly the time to start focusing on structural programs like childcare and pharmacare and housing and long-term care reform. You know, there never seems to be a good reason for conservatives to address these issues, but I think the COVID crisis has revealed in stark terms where these fault lines are okay. in the Canadian economy. Now's the time to recognize them and address them, as well as, of course, the climate crisis, which there's there's no time to waste right. in dealing with that. So those things we'll be looking for in the budget. Rachel Bendayan, uh, we, we've already heard from various cabinet ministers telling us uh, to expect big spending on childcare, green initiatives to fight climate change and measures for women. Uh, this budget's being billed as one that will spend tens of billions to transform the economy. Uh, we've heard from Mr. Davies, Mr. Kelly. Uh, why is this the right time, you think? Uh, well, people are just trying to get through a, another wave of the pandemic. Why is it time to talk Talk about uh, a transformation of the economy for years to come. I think that we need to learn the lessons of the previous uh, recession. I mean, if you look at the great financial crisis of, of 2008 uh, and and everything that the IMF has since come out saying uh, as a result, it, it is about spending and, and stimulating the economy in order to come back to a full recovery as quickly as possible. The risks uh, of doing too little far outweigh the risks of doing too much. And the federal government knows this. And, and, and that is why from the very beginning, we said that we would not only be there to support Canadians, to see them through the other side, whether it's with respect to families, supporting families through an increase in the Canada Child Benefit, whether it's the CERB or the many emergency measures that allowed Canadians to continue to pay their rent and put food on their table, or supporting small businesses, a file I obviously care very deeply about. We put in a number of different right. measures, and we've said that those supports would be there until the end of the pandemic, but we also have to see beyond that. And I think you have in us a government that can uh, chew gum and walk at the same time. I mean, we need to address the pandemic and also ensure okay. that the economy comes roaring back afterwards. Mr. Kelly, why is your party against uh, that kind of big spending that 
we've uh, we've talked about that hopes to use the pandemic as a, a springboard to transform the economy. You talked a little while ago about the need to look at a job creation budget. Uh, are those two things mutually exclusive, a, a transforming of the economy and job creation? Well, I don't think that, that first of all, I don't think that uh, that our party would need to take any lessons from, uh, from really anybody uh, on coming through uh, a great recession. Canada led the world out of, in terms of uh, government response and, and prudent financial management to uh, see Canada through the last great uh, financial crisis. And, uh, and I, we, can, we can do it again. And I think that Canadians are going to be looking for leadership. They're going to be looking for prudent uh, expenditure, and they're going to be looking for uh, a, a plan that will lead us eventually back to a balanced budget. We're not talking about cutting uh, uh, fundamental programs that uh, that Canadians uh, depend upon. We're we're but concerned that uh, that now is exactly the wrong time, though, to continue to pile on debt recklessly uh, as Canada has has exceeded. Um, uh, all of these uh, these okay. measurements for, for debt. There have been no fiscal anchors. There have been no but, controls. There has been nothing from this government from the beginning. They squandered the inheritance that they received okay, from the previous for, government. For instance, a lot of the experts say, look, you, you pour money into child care. It, it actually is going to make money for the government with more uh, women in the workforce, more, reven- more tax revenue, uh, fewer supports because they're in the workforce. Uh, do you accept that, that you could actually, with that kind of investment, uh, government revenues can actually increase? Well, we'll see what they end up proposing, but I, I, I don't okay. see, I mean, and there are issues of provincial jurisdiction that you, you can't just, um, you know, imagine these things right. into being. Let's, let's see what let's they Let's see what happens. Mr. Davies, let me give the final word to yours. Time, time is tight tonight. Uh, why is it the right time to spend tens of billions of, of more dollars now to, uh, to transform this economy? Well, because, Peter, there's spending and then there's investment. And when you invest money in things like childcare, what you do is you get a multiplier effect that unleashes the ability of millions of people, primarily women, to participate more fully in the workforce, which which simply adds to Canada's economic progress. Um, also, things like um, you know building housing, having a strong infrastructure spending program in this country, the roads, the bridges, the highways, the ports, uh, those kind of facilities are the basic infrastructure that provides uh, the basis for Canada's economic progress for decades to come. So if you can't invest now when interest rates are near 0% and there's millions of people unemployed and need work, uh, I don't know when you can invest. So I think it's a good time for us to invest in Canada and Canadians. A brief time we had together tonight. Uh, We'll have a chance to revisit this. I know budget coming up a week from today. Uh, Thank you all for your time tonight. We'll talk again. Thanks, Thanks, Peter. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole finds himself once again defending a woman's right to choose and vowing to vote against a conservative backbencher's private member's bill to ban so-called sex-selective abortions. The bill will be debated for the first time in uh, the House of Commons on Wednesday and is sponsored by Saskatchewan MP Kathy Wagenthal. We have a responsibility in Canada to say Uh, what our values are, and to say it through our laws. And so it is important to us as Canadians, in response to the desire of Canadians, to bring forward a law that says that sex-selective abortion is not acceptable in Canada. As you know, I'm I'm pro-choice, and I will be voting against this private member's bill. Um, I will always, as Prime Minister, defend the rights uh, the human rights of all Canadians, including women, to make this decision for themselves. I've been crystal clear on that and will be as Prime Minister.
Let's bring in our panel of parliamentary journalists now. Susan Delacorte is a columnist with the Toronto Star. Joelle Denis Bellavance is the parliamentary bureau chief for La Presse. And John Iveson is a columnist with the National Post and parliamentary bureau chief for Post Media. Good to see you all again. Uh, Susan, let me start with you. Aaron O'Toole is facing more questions now about his party's position on abortion because of this private member's bill being brought forward by one of his backbenchers. Uh, how will this affect his efforts? Uh, it seems like another one of those things that sort of knocks him off message and he's trying to uh, win over more centrist voters. What's happening here? Well, the, the problem, when a p political leader has a problem, it's a bigger problem when it's a pattern. And uh, this is another case where Mr. O'Toole says quite clearly that he believes something and people in his party believe something else. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes we get too hung up on, you know, blind followership in, uh, in politics. But I think it's not going to um, alleviate and probably add to the, the concerns about whether Mr. O'Toole leads a party that re represents his views or vice versa. Mm. Um, you know, th this is something that, that probably some can't help St. Andrew Shear, and it is, um, it's, it doesn't seem that he's able to de-shearize the party. Uh, in a way that he had hoped to. Yeah, so let, let me go to, isn't that funny, Joel Denis, you and I both speak French, déchirer, it almost sounds like déchirer, uh, which, which would tear apart the party, but what, do you, what are your thoughts here? Is this, how big is this a problem for Aaron O'Toole? Well, it is a big problem because it brings him uh, into uh, very much in a to, uh, defensive mode. Um, he wanted to go on the offensive on the vaccination problems, on the, uh, the, 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 the problems that we face with the vaccine rollout. But his message is being blown away by this kind of stuff today. And remember, three weeks ago, his, he was off message, too, because the party voted against the motion to recognize uh, climate change was real. So that's two, uh, I would say, two blows in three weeks. And the only party that is laughing right now uh, is the Liberal Party because, you know, they're getting ready for an election and they've got something uh, of this nature, two, two great uh, uh, gifts from the Conservative Party to attack the Conservative Party. So right. uh, it's not a good day for Mr. O'Toole. It's not a, it hasn't been a good month for him. Uh, let me let me hear you on this, John, and, and a lot of this, this Joel Denis raises about, you know, who gets to define who you are in politics. And uh, this is yet another one of those things, perhaps, where it's being done for Aaron O'Toole. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the Conservatives yet again forming a circular firing squad and firing inward. Um, the the Liberals are promoting this, obviously. O'Toole would prefer not to talk about it. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a private member's bill that is going nowhere. Right. Let's remember that. Um, it was a bigger deal, an almost, well, a very similar motion on sex-selective abortion back in, I think, 2013 when they were in government. And, and uh, there were a sizable number of, of Conservative MPs, including a good number of cabinet ministers, including Jason Kenney, who voted in favour of that bill. So this, this is not just a fringe member who will have no support for her bill. But at the end of the day, it's going nowhere. All the other parties will vote against it. And, you know, you, you have to wonder why at this particular time, as we're going into an election, that uh, Conservative members would think this was a great idea. Yeah. Uh, Susan, let, let's talk about the, you know, you know uh, Aaron O'Toole wanted to talk about his meeting with the Prime Minister today, and he got all the questions except for one, I think, or two. Were about uh, this private member's bill, but pre-budget meetings between the prime minister and the opposition leaders, uh, Mr. O'Toole, Mr. Blanchet today. I think Jagmeet Singh tomorrow. You know, um, 
What's the real purpose of those meetings for people watching? What are they, you know, are, are, are these real things or is this all optics? I think there's a little bit of optics there. I think, you know, it's kind of standard. But Mr. O'Toole has already said he's voting against the budget, uh, as is the opposition's uh, right and almost duty to do. Um, I think it is so the prime minister can say he's talked to them. I, I don't think that anything that Mr. O'Toole or Mr. Blanchett say uh, in the meetings today is going to will have Justin Trudeau on the phone to Krista Freeland saying, "Hey, change the budget." Um, but I do think that uh, he has to be seen as to be consulting them. It is a minority parliament. Uh, we're all supposed to be getting along. I actually think the budget is receding. We'll talk about this. Uh, everybody wants to talk about you know a budget being for the post-pandemic future. The problem is. I don't think anybody's head is right now in the post-pandemic right. future. I think uh, I think things are are not exactly good right now. Joel Denis, what 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 do you see in these in these meetings? Is is there more to this than just the chance to say, "Look, I brought all the opposition parties together and then ignored them"? It's more optics than anything else because I would say that the budget is essentially written right now. The decision has been made. Um, it's putting in, it's being written and translated almost and printed. So because the budget will be table in a week from now, um, I think it's more for optics. The prime minister will be able to say, I consulted the opposition parties. They, you know, said this and this and that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they have to make the decision. And this is where we're going. So uh, but, you know, uh, there, there might be some, um, if I may say, uh, some input from the NDP that the prime minister might be able to uh, take into consideration. But I, I'm, I'm sure that is probably absorb most of the ideas that the NDP has been yeah. pushing in the last few weeks, uh, well, few, I, a few months during the pandemic. So. Yeah, John, I'm assuming the biggest idea he's, he's absorbed is that Jagmeet Singh, Jag, Jagmeet Singh's already said he's not going to vote the government down. So <laughs> right, uh, right. that sort of that sort of sort of limits the conversation in that big pre-budget consultation, doesn't it? Well, well these, these conversations can be important if the government of the day doesn't want to get brought down and is trying to do a deal with with, uh, with the opposition parties. I mean, we saw that in 2005, 2011. You know, both times elections happened because uh, the opposition parties didn't get what they wanted. So I think there is a, a, a genuine purpose to them. But in this case, obviously, um, you know, I think Justin Trudeau would not be unhappy if he was brought down. I think it's going to be very hard for him to engineer an election and bring himself down in the middle of a pandemic and, and not look like an opportunist. But uh, yeah, I mean, these things sometimes have substance. I got about uh, 30 seconds left for each of you quickly here, but look at the back to the COVID story and the numbers we're seeing surging across the country. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, fingers will point again here. And so which way are they pointed as we as we hit a rising third wave, Susan? I think Trudeau has been taking most of the hits in the last few weeks. So people are going to start looking at the provinces just because this is somebody do something. And uh, and people are seeing that different provinces have different uh, successes. So I think, uh, I, I actually think the provinces are going to take some heat on this. Joel Denis, what's your view? I would agree because if you look at the situation in Atlantic Canada, for example, for most of the pandemic, they've been able to control the pandemic, but it's not been the case in Ontario, Alberta, and Quebec. So I guess finger pointing will be much more at the provinces, although the federal government may be uh, blamed from some part of the problems because of they were yeah. still getting some of the vaccines. Final thought to you, John, on this. Yeah, I think uh, particularly in Ontario, people are getting whiplash. I mean, people, parents got a letter from Stephen Letcher, the education minister, 
yesterday saying no that schools would come back after uh, the April break and then today the schools are closed down so I think uh, people are frustrated there is no plan if there was a plan we'd be able to see it it's not there all right thank you all uh we'll continue to follow these stories and talk to you again soon take care everybody thank you thank you Peter and that's all the time we have for this edition of primetime politics from all of us here at CPAC I'm Peter Van Dusen thanks for watching till next time